Alex Mosin, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. We got a number of topics today, an Applico client buying a tech marketplace company, some large, you know, unicorn tech startups, not, no, public, public platform companies, some of them on their way to monopoly platform status, platform conglomerate status. In my opinion, making some very weird decisions. Um, So we're going to talk more about that, ranging from both Instacart to Uber to uh, Pinterest. And so let's jump on in. Let's start with let's start with the large public platform players. Okay, Uber has announced decisions to partner with taxis. Uber is partnering with the local technology company. Each each of these cities, New York. Um, in San Francisco to start with. And then they also announced an agreement with kind of the authorities in London to get a license to operate in London. Uber's been feuding with London for years now. So Uber is now partnering with this this company called CMT Creative Mobile Technologies in New York. Um, they're partnering with Flywheel in San Francisco, which have provided this technology to let you book a taxi, just like you could book an Uber or a ride-sharing Uber but now, you know, these tech companies would would make similar technology uh, for the taxis. And so now Uber has announced that they're going to integrate with those tech companies and allow you to book a taxi um, in New York and San Francisco and maybe other cities. I don't know if they're going to do this in other cities. Maybe this is part of the deal uh, in London that they also how they got London over the hump for Uber to operate in London. So stock is up like 13% on this news of the London deal and and them kind of playing nice with these cities, I guess it is. Keep in mind, though, you rewind to when Uber IPO'd, which was at like $41 a share, like three years ago, May 2019. They're still down at $37 a share, right? It's still, you if you put money in it at the IPO price, you'd have still lost 10% of your money, even after all, everything that's gone on with these crazy tech multiples and asset price inflation and all these things we keep talking about on the show, you would still be have lost money on your investment in Uber. This decision, it just seems weak to me. There is no way Travis Kalanick would ever sign a deal to let you book a taxi in the Uber app, right? Like he'd probably burn the entire thing down before capitulating. And, it, and it's a capitulation. To me, it's a sign of weakness. And now there's going to be more cities with their tin cup jingling in your face, Uber. Hey, where's my deal with the taxis, right? And these cities get paid off, by the way, by these taxi programs. The cities collect checks to operate via medallion, right? So like the cities get money from these taxi programs. So the city now you've 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 just kind of opened the gate even wider. I mean, there's already, you know, the the taxi and limousine commission in New York, for example, right? Like if you're going to be a driver on Uber, you still have to get a license uh, in that region. There is some regulation, but it's nowhere near to the extent of having a taxi medallion, right? They've just invited being taken advantage of further by cities and municipalities. They have given a boost to the otherwise kind of down and out market for quality drivers for, you know, recruiting drivers to drive a taxi. I know a lot of people in the, in the taxi business and, um, you know, this is, uh, 
This helps the taxi business. There's no other way around it. It's not even stated in these press releases. Like, did Uber get exclusivity? So like the CMT company in New York and Flywheel or whatever it's called in San Francisco, are they allowed to do a deal with Lyft? Because if they can go do a deal with Lyft, Dara should be fired. I mean, if, if that's really, if there's no exclusivity, at least it's one thing if Uber gets exclusivity in New York and San Francisco, right? And that's like a unique thing. Like, hey, use the Uber app. You can get an Uber and you can get a taxi, right? And like Lyft can't do that. Okay. I can kind of get supportive of this. But if Lyft goes and strikes deals with these two companies, Dara should be fired right away. Then there really is no strategic, like then, then you look weak and you didn't even gain anything on your competitor being Lyft, right? So like, what did you actually gain from this? You just showed more weakness. I don't even need to go into the myriad of mistakes that Uber has made on the Uber Eats side to allow DoorDash to frankly kick their ass in what was the more rural suburban markets, right? For years, that uh, wasn't something that just happened overnight. DoorDash was executing that strategy brilliantly. This was happening right around when Travis and crew were kicked out. We've made many, go check out our videos on this where we highlight um, the former chief business officer of Uber. I think his name is Amir Efradi. Tweet storming about the uh, just, you know, uh, ignorance and complete mismanagement by the the new management running Uber Eats to let DoorDash eclipse them and eclipse them quite dramatically in terms of market share in uh, food delivery in the United States. So they have made a lot of mistakes. You know, I have been Uber's biggest fan, mind you. Okay. When Kara Swisher was knocking Dara at the Dealbook conference, New York Times Dealbook conference years ago, saying, oh, Uber's never going to make any money. You know, you got a business that's unsustainable, right? On this show, go check the tape, supporting Dara 100%, right? Kara doesn't know what she's talking about. She still doesn't know what she's talking about. But this, though, I mean, it's just enough is enough, right? If Lyft does this deal, it's it. I'm over it. Dara, you messed up one too many times. You got to go. You got to go. Um, I hope that's not the case, though. I really don't hope that's the case. But you would think that they would have said, like, yeah, this is going to be a unique thing to Uber, um, which they didn't do in any of these announcements. So hey, we'll see. We've talked actually a number of times about Pinterest CEO Ben Silberman. The most recent news out on him is this thing here, indecision at Pinterest. They're trying to go buy this company called Verishop. Basically, they're in negotiation with them for two months. They're trying to get the deal done. But then the talks hit a wall as Pinterest CEO Ben delayed making a decision on the terms for a deal. Frustrating Imran Khan, who is the head of Verishop. Turns out that maybe PayPal was going to buy Pinterest. And so maybe Ben said, guys, you got to slow your roll. I got to go figure out this thing with uh, PayPal and, you know, just couldn't devote the time to go figure out the thing with Verishop. And then the thing with PayPal falls through. <laughs> they call back a Verishop and say, hey, hey, Imran, let's do the deal. Five hundred million dollars stock and cash. And then they got turned down. 
The article goes on to say it wasn't the first time a deal slipped through Pinterest fingers. They were looking in 2018. What's interesting is we have talked more than once about Pinterest and not in a positive light. The two other times that come to mind most immediately are talking about, you know, uh, what Instagram has been doing with commerce and shopping and then kind of saying, well, what's Pinterest doing? Like, how is Instagram figuring out commerce before Pinterest is figuring out commerce, right? Like, what? The other thing that comes to mind was there's this kind of expose, disgruntled kind of former executive, the former a Pinterest COO, female executive, said, you know, it was a kind of discriminatory, misogynistic and hostile workplace. This, did this whole kind of, you know, download 4,000 word blog post. We covered that story. If you go watch the video, I've got actually a clip from it here, August of 2020. So you go look at this and it, here's a little clip, but you can go watch the whole, you know, obviously the whole video in, in more detail if you want all the ins and outs of what exactly you're talking about. But what's interesting is here is my takeaway. And, and by the way, you go read her blog post. She doesn't take shots at Ben, the CEO. She's kind of critiquing the workplace in general, maybe some other executives that she's working with, but, but she actually doesn't really attack Ben and say like, you know, Ben did this to me, right? The CEO, like this is all his fault. She actually doesn't take it there, but here's, here's what I had to say on it. What is the real problem or what is the real catalyst for change? And it sounds like, now there's two sides to every story, but it sounds like the CEO and founder of Pinterest is the problem and should be replaced. Because if you take it at face value, what she's saying, these are real problems, right? You want to have a culture of diversity, of, of making sure all the best people are contributing, pushing each other, challenging each other. It's the only way you can actually build a great business. I'll, I'll, I'll preface it that there's two sides to every story, but it was interesting to me. Like none of these recommendations here pin the blame back on Ben. That was the weird thing to me. She's not going after Ben, but I actually think, you know, her critiques and the things that she was talking about that she had an issue with, with Pinterest were accurate. And I think have been um, compounded and evidenced by their failure to execute on commerce. Um, and now, you know, this example of uh, a missed acquisition, then they tried to go back to and got turned down. Who gets turned down? I'll give you $500 million. As I was talking about in this video, this was like almost two years ago, this video. CEO's problem. And now three examples, all leading back to problems that the CEO should be fixing. Hasn't fixed them, right? They're not innovating on the product. The former COO, right, was kind of critiquing the culture, the team makeup, the ability to speak openly and freely and challenge others and, and this kind of stuff and what the board dynamic or lack thereof. You now see that in the in the lack to innovate now, the inability to kind of close deals and and you know get growth through MA, which by the way, we've we've done other videos talking about Pinterest is in the sweet spot to do MA fueled growth because they're kind of a mid-market uh public platform company, your large tech monopolies, as we're seeing, are having real issues to actually do M&A to fuel growth, right? Like Facebook buying Instagram. Where is Pinterest Instagram? And they have 
you know, if they're not able to go and do their own product innovation, 18, 17 and a half billion market cap, then you got to go buy stuff and maybe that can give you growth. But they're not able to do either now, right? They're not able to innovate on the product internally. Seems like they've got a gummed up mechanism to do M&A. That's not good. And then, you know, two years ago, you got the COO leaving, talking about all these cultural issues. Hmm. Seems like a problem. Seems like a problem with the CEO. Where are they on commerce, right? They haven't been able to figure out commerce, commerce internally. They haven't been able to build that out from their own internal product efforts. Now this story is saying, oh, well, they tried to go buy Verishop. Look at Verishop. It's in the name. Shop, right? Commerce. So they couldn't do commerce internally. And then they tried to go and blow half a billion dollars on this company. And the company told them to go to hell. So they just can't do commerce for the life of them. They can't build it and they can't buy it. Commerce is this company's Achilles heel. And it's literally the way that they, it's it's their path to the promised land and they cannot figure it out for the life of them. That's two CEOs. You know, if I'm ranking in terms of badness, I'd say you got Ben Silberman taking the, the badness cake so far, followed by Dara. If Dara did not get exclusivity on these deals with Lyft, then they are neck and neck. They are both really bad and both really need to go. Right now, though, Ben is taking the badness cake to a third example, a, a third uh, public platform company and see and where that CEO ranks. So Instacart is slashing their valuation rather than actually hearing about doubling valuation, which is what Instacart used to be doing. No, Instacart has slashed their valuation by 40%. Why would they ever do such a thing? It's not like they raised money at a lower valuation. No, they said, hey, we were worth $39 billion, but markets have gone down. DoorDash stock is now half of what it was. I mean, at its ultra, ultra peak, you know, really, I mean, DoorDash is really down, like call it 40% also. But hey, you know, stocks are down. So we are going to proactively adjust our valuation down to a much more uh, palatable $24 billion. New CEO, right? Founder and uh, uh, now former CEO of Perva Meta, no longer CEO. He got out. Um, now you've got new CEO in charge, Fiji. Is this a good decision? Well, let's really break this down. What does this actually mean? Why would you do this? And really the reason to do this, Instacart is telling its employees and potential recruits that upcoming stock awards will be issued at a much lower price, making equity packages more attractive and in alignment with market conditions. So they're having trouble recruiting new employees because the employees are looking at, you know, for, for these are four more like middle and upper management jobs that are actually going to get a potentially meaningful amount of, of stock options as a part of their overall comp package, right? So, it's, you know, th- those are sophisticated individuals that are looking at it and saying, oh, well, you're going to issue me stock at like $39 billion valuation. And, you know, I'm probably going to be underwater on those options, right? Instacart, right? Recruiter. You know, that makes sense to me why they did this. But also, you got to keep in mind, what about all the existing employees at Instacart who <laughs> have stock options issued at the $39 billion? Not might have, but do have stock options that are now 
at least, you know, 40% underwater. Um, what are all those people going to do? Valuation is in a cure-all for Instacart, which is now under pressure to show it can sustain its business momentum. Employees who receive stock grants at higher prices need to see a rebound in order to make money on their equity. Thanks a lot, Sherlock. Didn't understand that one. Does it seem like there really is an answer? You know, is Instacart going to reissue um, stock options, right? And say, hey, well, we will, uh, we will, you know, for all the employees that got these stock options at 39 billion, are you going to make those folks whole and kind of reissue them stock options or, you know, cancel out the ones at 39 and reissue them ones at 24? That, that would only seem, uh, you know, fair, right? Not to mention, what about all the investors that put money in at a 30, 39 uh, billion dollar valuation that are now looking at this and saying, ooh, that wasn't too good. Um, so let's look at those investors. Uh, new investors, when uh, Instacart last raised money, which was a year ago, March of 2021, right? So a year after COVID hit. Adia Partners, new investor. Impede Capital Partners, new investor. Uh, Fidelity, Fidelity Management and Research, new investor. That one's going to sting. Um, IOVC, venture capital firm. Manhattan Venture Partners, new investor. Super Capital VC. All those are new investors, right? So at least the follow-on investors in that round, you know, got in um, presumably at a more palatable valuation. The last fundraise prior to COVID or, you know, prior to 39 billion was at about an $18 billion valuation, right? So, so those investors that followed on, but, you know, put in at maybe a, a 14 billion in July of 2020 or 18 billion in October of 2020, um, you know, you netted out and maybe they're break even. I don't know. Um, depends how much money they, they put into, uh, into the follow-on. Those new investors certainly aren't hot. Um, I don't know what the agreements were for that fundraise. Presumably they would have some anti-dilution uh, rights. So, <laughs> which it would actually then cram down the, uh, the uh, common, who, which is usually how employees in the company uh, where their equity would fall. So <laughs> there's really no good solution to this, right? So if those new investors at a $39 billion valuation have anti-dilution rights, and now the thing is we're at 24, that means the, the folks not holding preferred equity, presumably employees, are getting crammed down even more, right? So now not only are the existing employees who have shares that are underwater crammed down, but now those shares are worth relatively even less share of ownership uh, because the preferred investors have anti-dilution rights. I don't know if they do, but I'm just kind of, if they did, which they probably did. If you're an existing employee, there's got to be some. This can't just be the only thing they do. Otherwise, um, just solving for new employees and not figuring out something for existing employees isn't going to be a a holistic way of looking at this. Instacart has also been doing M&A at presumably a $39 billion valuation. So they bought this company called Caper AI for $350 million. That $350 million is a combination of cash and shares. 
And even in this article, it talks about how they were valued at $39 billion, right? So, yeah, you know, if you are, um, you're Caper AI, like, yeah, those shares are not looking too good right now. This is for a kind of like just walk out Amazon Go type of competitor uh, piece of technology. They also acquired this catering software company. This one is, I think, a much smaller acquisition. They didn't disclose the deal, the, the details of the deal, but presumably there's probably some equity in this one as well. All right, so they did all this M&A. What's happening to those founders? Uh, you know, what's happening to those earnouts? Yikes. Uh, tough when you take you know, stock as a form of payment when stock's at all-time highs. There's got to be more to this. This Fiji has to be, I'm sure, is a very smart, capable CEO. Um, this can't be the only bit of news that, that she's doing on the topic. It is a sign of how frothy, and we reported it, how much asset price inflation made its way into tech investing. And this is a very healthy thing to see, frankly. Now, Instacart was like, the primo primo example of inflated valuations, right? Because they got huge benefit from stay-at-home orders and everyone doing a remote food ordering, right? In, in, uh, grocery delivery. So their fall from grace has probably been uh, bigger than maybe other tech startups that had inflated valuations that might be thinking about doing something similar, you know, maybe 40% is kind of at the extreme end of that spectrum of uh, recalibration of val valuation. But I think, you know, this is a trend we're starting to see now in the, in the public markets. And then, you know, we're now starting to see it flow into the private markets. And, you know, it takes time, right? But I think hopefully you will see some calibration back to normalcy. I still think, you know, it'll be higher than where it was initially, um, just with the amount of dollars that are still pumping their way into these private investment markets. But I'd say overall, a very positive thing to see some sense of, I don't know, logic. It just wasn't making any sense what we were seeing in the market. Instacart just rolled out this new kind of product line. They're calling it a platform, but they're one of the reasons why people confuse the word of platform, right? And we use the word platform to speak to a business model. They are, you, they are the, this is a classic example of using the word platform to speak to a product offering. So they're calling it the Instacart platform. Instacart is a platform business. They have a marketplace, right? Connecting you with grocery stores and consumers. And now they are rolling out software technology suite for retailers. And it looks like they have buy-in from uh, Publix, Aldi, Schnuck, Schnucks, uh, you know, and a bunch of other retailers here. This suite of tools is going to help them with e-commerce. So giving them e-commerce storefronts, storefronts custom built for grocers, uh, fulfillment, giving them solutions for grocers to do online delivery, advertising solutions. It's funny. It's kind of like what Amazon did with, I think it was Best Buy and a couple other retailers way, 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 way long ago in like the early 2000s when they started actually giving technology solutions to these retailers. That was before Amazon really had much scale. Amazon got inside of those businesses and then saw, whoa, like look at 
ding, ding, ding. Look at these opportunities. Bing, bing, bing right here. And then went full steam ahead on marketplace and now has, you know, made all those retailers bend the knee and then some, uh, if not put them out of business entirely. So this is a very risky play to let this uh, marketplace that has already disintermediated you from your end customer. Yes, they haven't found a great way to monetize that relationship, but they have absolutely disintermediated you. And now you are bringing their software suite inside into the very belly of your business. And you're going to pay them software fees, I would imagine, for this, right? That's a very scary proposition. This is uh, frightening. Why would you do that? The only way I would touch this thing and, and literally let my competitor power my business as software is if they gave it to me for free. And even if they gave it to me for free, I would still really question whether I should do it, right? But why am I going to pay money? Which I guarantee you there are software fees for this. Why am I going to pay money? to the marketplace that has disintermediated me from my customer. Why would I do that? It's not like these grocery stores are necessarily hurting, right? It's not, I mean, they've just come off of like the couple best years they've probably ever had in a very long time. You know, it's not like you're desperate and you, and, and you got to cut a deal with the devil because that's what this is, right? Yeah, I would say far away from this. And if, I, if I'm a Publix or an Aldi or a Schnucks, you know, pretty... I mean, Publix is massive, Aldi, big company. They also own Trader Joe's. I don't know, it just seems so weird. Really excited about this news. Dot Foods, uh, Applico client has just announced their acquisition of Morsum. This is a food tech startup, um, really focused more so on the kind of food service side of Dot's business, right? This is uh, separate from the Shop Hero acquisition, which they announced last year which is on the retail and grocery side of Dot's business. This one is really on the you know, food service, which is catering down to restaurants and, and those kinds of uh, business customers. So Morsum and Ted, the CEO at, at Morsum, and the Dot team are really, uh, both of them are, are brilliantly positioned to take the amazing technology and product and, and team and capabilities that Ted and the Morsum team have been developing and then couple that with Dot Scale. If you don't know much about Dot, they are the largest food redistributor in the United States. So that means that they have thousands of uh, distributors who are customers of Dot, right? So instead of a classical distribution business selling to, for example, a restaurant like a US Foods or a Cisco, Dot is selling to food distributors. And then those distributors sell to restaurants. So they're actually called a redistributor. They're actually one step up in the supply chain. The really cool thing about redistributors is they have such a huge ability to scale solutions, right? If you think about their impact, right? Think about their impact because they're one step up in the supply chain. If they sell to thousands of distributors, and then how many thousands of, uh, let's say, you know, restaurants do those distributors sell too, right? So you kind of see the multiplying effect that happens when you think about all that downstream scale um, in this redistribution model. Very exciting, uh, really wonderful um, news announced just recently here. And uh, we couldn't be happier for Ted and, and Joe and both the Dot and Morrison teams. 
Thank you very much for watching the show today. A lot of great topics. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and connect with us uh, and, and text us for if and when we get booted uh, from the big bad tech monopoly that is YouTube.